The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 WCCO or Intercom Communications. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Good Sunday to you. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with host Bruce and Peg. Text and call us live today on our studio line 651 989 9226. All week, ask questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6-ADVICE or email yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer and how topical on this Sunday before St. Patrick's Day that we're going to talk about luck, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Peg and Rashini, good to be with you, lovely ladies, as always. Um, yeah, this is our marketing team, Rashini. This is not an accident. We're going to, we're going to talk about luck. But, uh, before we jump into the topic, I just want to mention, Peg, I, I, I'm, and Rashini, I'm assuming some listeners might have questions. Uh, this week, the American Rescue Act finally passed. Uh, both houses of Congress and the president signed it. We've been talking about it for months. It's finally done. And Peg, I think what we're going to do is we're going to do an entire, we'll devote an entire show to this next week. I think we're still kind of unbundling and understanding everything that's in there. It's 642 pages or something like that. So um, we weren't quite prepared to attack it today, but a programming note, I think we'll try to do that next Sunday. So um, if you have questions about that, hang in there one more week and we'll hopefully have all the answers uh, next week. Yeah, I think um, it wasn't it wasn't Bruce. I don't think until Thursday. And you're right; it was 630 pages. And have you ever heard this? It said, "I would I would write you a short letter if I had time," <laughs> because <laughs> by the time you look at all those pages and condense it for a, a radio show, you know we want to make sure that we get the highlights. Yeah, we know some of the big stuff, but we'll dig into it a little bit deeper. And I think we'll wait till next week to do that and make sure we got our ducks in a row. But today, with St. Patrick's Day right around the corner, we're going to talk about relying on luck to have a happy retirement or to have financial success. And and the, the connection here, Peg, I've heard people, I assume you have too, I've heard people say investing in the stock market is like gambling. Um, it's really not if you do it right. So we're going to talk today about how you don't have to rely on luck or good luck, that if you have certain strategies and methodologies, investing wisely is actually not like gambling. Yeah, and it's. I think it's timely just because uh, things are looking up and lots of people are considering retiring. And actually, I would say, in the last six months, I've had more, you know, uh, younger 50s, early 60-year-olds retire. And it, it might seem like an oxymoron. We're in the COVID. We're in this crisis. How are you walking away from your job? Well, 
some of the things of why they're able to and have the confidence to we're going to talk about today. But most of us are going to retire before we leave this earth. And someone listening might say, well, wait a minute, I, ne- I never really did have a job. And I, I would argue anyone who is doing anything, you know, for the family unit, whether your, your job is, you know, to take care of the kids, raise the kids, and the other one goes out of the house. And um, we all have certain responsibilities in our life. So this word retire, you know, can sometimes seem like a bad word to some people. Oh, I never want to retire, but it might just be altering, you know, what you're going to do. So the first thing we want to talk about is, remember, we're talking about don't rely on luck is you're investing because you need to or you need it. Meaning if you don't invest, then uh, you, you may not ever be able to make that decision and smile when you're making that decision because some people, you know, are, are, are get uh, disabled or something like that before they even want to retire. But retirement isn't a luxury. It is just something that, Bruce, that you and I and, and the whole rest of the world one day, um, you know, and sometimes it might be 89 years old, they decide to retire. But most of us do retire before we leave this earth. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I like what you said right out of the, uh, out of the shoot about retirement. Retirement is really having the economic choice to be able to do what you want to do, which may include work or part-time work, but to, but not be obligated to work and not be obligated to anyone or anything, to be able to, to enjoy the lifestyle that you want without worrying about running out of money. That's how I define retirement. And yeah, most people do want to do that before they die. Now, I'm the exception. I've said many times on this show, I don't do anything that I like more than this, so I don't want to retire. But again, I reserve the right to change my mind. Yeah, and I think the the idea of creating your own paycheck, that has some kind of inner fear. And, and people think, oh, I have to be lucky in that, you know, oh, I'm going to have to win the lottery or I'm going to have to get an inheritance, inheritance to be able to do that. Uh, but methodically saving, and we encourage on this show a lot, to start early. Because uh, just like you said, Bruce, you need that confidence to be able to retire. And if you start younger, just the compounding of money will help you gain that uh, confidence. Then I think a big one is, and and I I feel like here's where a lot of people miss the boat. They don't create financial goals or visions of what they see in retirement. So, Bruce, you probably had your vision is, hey, I'm going to do this forever. This is like the best thing, you know, helping people and getting them and watching them retire and with their um, smiling while they're doing it. That's part of our job. But you do know that not all of our job is that portion of it, right? We, we do have some dramatic downtimes when we also live through these clients' lives. So some things don't happen well for them, and that would be like health or something happened uh, within their family. But I'm talking about financial goals. So I'm a believer that if you have these goals, then you're going to be motivated to work towards something. And remember, we're talking about retirement. So if you don't feel like you can create those goals yourself, then you got to get help. 
you know, whether it's a financial advisor or someone outside of you that would help you hone them in. Yeah, I, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, and one of, one of our catchphrases used to be a goal without a plan is merely a wish. So you, you have a plan, you have an investment strategy that's based on your goals and objectives. And if you don't have an end point or an end game in mind, how do you know if you're up to be successful or not? So yeah, everything, you know, and, and Peg, that's always been a frustration of mine when I hear these, uh, certain media shows or read these things telling people what to invest in. You should buy ABC or you should buy XYZ. And they're given this advice without knowing who their reader is, what their rate of return is that they want or their need, what their risk tolerance is, when they want to retire. You know, I don't know how to coach anybody or advise anybody without understanding their goals and objectives and what makes them tick, what's important to them. That drives me crazy. It's a very personal thing to talk about financial planning or efficient investing. Yeah, but that's the most fun part, too, is um, living through these people's lives and trying to get them to talk out loud about their goals. Uh, The next one is chasing returns. So sometimes people think it's a little bit easier. You know, um, the state that we live in has those scratch-offs, and a lot of people will buy those, you know, at the uh, local stores and hope that they win the big one or they, you know, uh, try for the lottery. But that, to me, that's chasing wealth. But in our business, there's a lot of people out there that I would call chasing returns, where they're looking for that hot stock or they're looking for a quick buck. Um, And our, our recommendation is if you want to do that, First, you need to determine a dollar amount that you're willing to lose. And I mean 100%. You're willing to lose it. And you feel like if you do, you're still going to be on goal, on track. But we often read in the papers about, you know, performance chasers that are trying to buy those hot stocks and and not make 10% on their money. They're looking to make 100%, 300%. And... What I've witnessed in my career doing this is, yes, you can win one time, you know, or two times. But along with that, you're going to equally lose one or two times. And so your rate of return, if you're honest with yourself, by the way, is not going to necessarily match if you just had a diversified portfolio. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Everybody wants to find the next GameStop and make a and make a, a fortune overnight. And maybe some people did, but um, like you said, for, for that win, a lot of those same people probably had multiple losses that didn't work. And even the people that did do it successfully, for each one that did it successfully, how many people did not? So that is gambling. If you're trying to chase a uh, return or trying to find, you know, and you're just swinging for home runs, trying to pick the right stock, that is gambling. We started off by saying investing is not gambling. Investing is not gambling if you do it right, and that's not the way we'd recommend. You must, Their luck might, you might get lucky, but it's not sustainable over a long period of time. So even with the thousands and the higher percentage of people that are listening are saying, oh, no, I believe in diversification. I'm not going to chase returns. They're still gravitated towards maybe pulling out of the market. Like 
trying to time it or there's an event like a COVID or back uh, the financial crisis a while back. There's things that just really make your gut say, get out, you know, before you lose any more. And, and, and those people are out there and we try our hardest to get them to not do that. But at the end of the day, it's their money. And so if indeed they're very aggressive about wanting to do it and they're just saying, this is what I want to do, we can't, you know, not do it. Like, nope, hang up, right? We have to talk them through it, you know, give the pros and cons. And then at the end of the day, we say, it's your money. Oh, that's actually the the name of the show. <laughs> it's, it's your money. So um, if you go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that. Um, I've witnessed this and I then, you know, I actually feel so bad for these people that they did that. And I feel responsible, even though I, I told them, don't do it, don't do it. But, um, I didn't know it, during COVID if it was going to keep on going down. No one did during the financial crisis. We didn't know if we were recovering in 09 or 10 or when we were going to get our money back, but still, I still take that personally, Bruce. And so when we were talking about, you know, doing this job forever, there is a lot of bricks on our shoulders that, um, you know, we're responsible for lots of families out there. And even though the job is fun, uh, it, it is a lot of weight because of the responsibility that we take for um, people's financial futures. Fortunately, I'm a big guy and I weigh a lot and I can carry that weight. But uh, <laughs> Um, you know, this the, we're not supposed to single people out, and, and you know, most of the stories and, and real life examples we give, we certainly never mention uh, a client by name, and sometimes it's an amalgam of multiple clients. So I did have a handful of clients, you know, that wanted to time the market, and, and sometimes you have to, to to coach them. You have to understand what's their motivation. Why do they want to time the market? And for a lot of people, unfortunately, today. We have become so polarized as a nation that it's political. If your political candidate doesn't win, you, you think everything's you know, going to crash and burn. And so because of the election year, the presidential election year, I had a lot of nervous clients. That I was able to talk them off the ledge. But I had one who last fall, right after the election, we had a long conversation. I discouraged her from going to cash. This person, uh, they did anyway. And... Um, I had a review meeting with them this week, and I said, you know, we talked in the fall, and I, you know, I told you I didn't think you should go to cash, but you said you had to do it so you could sleep at night, and I'm glad you could sleep, but that decision so far has not turned out very well for you. Mm-hmm. So what's their motivation? And, and, and so often, it's, you know, it's something really that you and I would say is silly, and it's political, and that's the that's. One of the worst reasons to make an economic decision. Um, the other thing I wanted to jump on is this idea of timing the markets, Peg. Um, and then maybe Rashidi, uh, Rashidi tells us that we've got a bunch of textures on the line. But, you know, if you look at the markets, we had a, we had a big pull. When COVID first hit a year ago, in February and March of last year, for about a six-week period of time there, the market was down over 30%. And people were nervous at that time. But 2020 ended the year up. The rest of the year, the market made up those losses and then some. Or the other big uh, crash or recession that all of our listeners remember 
was primarily in 2008. It started in the fall of 07, went to the spring of 09. People don't remember. Listen to this. This is the one number, the one index. The Dow in October of 2007 was trading at a little bit over 14,000. By March of 09, it was like 65 or 6,600. But today, the Dow is at 32,000. It, it not only made back what it lost in that 18 months, it's more than doubled again since then. So you didn't get hurt by that market retraction in 08. You didn't get hurt by the market retraction we had for six weeks last year. If you just didn't panic and remembered that your long money stays long, it came back. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and it, it is a very emotional roller coaster. We understand that money is... It's, uh, it's, it's just emotional. And so, uh, if you, if you don't have an advisor, if you, like we have conversations with our clients, but if you're listening out there and you don't have an advisor and you, you know, have moves that you've made and that you've regretted, at least have somebody that you have confidence in that you can, you know, have as a sounding board before you do that again. Absolutely. So, Rashini, Peg and I got uh, other stuff here that we ultimately can go through. But you know what? Let's take questions. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about some of these other things in answering questions, or maybe we'll uh, circle back and get it in the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get listeners involved now. Yeah, Peg and Bruce, a nice array of solid questions already coming in. People can call and text 651-989-9226. This person asks, is leaving money to relatives in a will necessary to also have their Social Security numbers for identification if they have moved or they're hard to find? That's a great question. Hey, Peg, do me a favor, and you do this better than I do. In addition to answering the question, talk a little bit, because what I, where I thought the, the text was going to go it ended up not going there. Um, I thought it was going to question whether you need a will or not. So talk a little bit about dying in test state or, or having a will versus not having a will. Yeah, <clears throat> I think when I talk to my clients, <clears throat> I first in- encourage them to have a power of attorney. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> because if indeed you're in the hospital, someone should be able to have access to your money. So I see that as being number one. Uh, You're still alive, but you're in the hospital, can't write a check for your bills. The second one is a will. Um, I see a will as being very tidy, very clean, you know, gives direction um, and avoids probate. So if you don't have a will, then all of a sudden you have to get an attorney, you have to, um, you know, there's this so much more for the relatives and the loved ones uh, to go through and do it. Now, if you don't have a will, but you have a spouse, you know, everything will go to the spouse automatically. If indeed you list everything on your investments as having a beneficiary. So, you know, if you, even if you don't have a will, just make sure that you have all your beneficiaries um, up to date on your assets. Then, what about the part? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I thought you were done. Go ahead. Then the question is, um, you know, now you're listing a beneficiary. And, yes, a lot of these custodians ask for a Social Security number because it happens to be the be-all, end-all of a number for each of us that is um, actually traceable. So uh, a lot of custodians are saying, hey, you know, I know people move. I know they're 
their emails change, their phone numbers change. Uh, that is one number that uh, that's kind of universal. With that said, it's getting to be more and more of a negative use of the number because of identity theft. Uh, so a lot of the custodians are saying, you know, you don't necessarily have to put it on there. They're not going to reject the form. Yeah, and, and to the, the only thing I would add is to the texture, um, and they didn't ask this, but uh, again, I wanted to kind of expand the idea. A question I get often, Peg, when we talk about having beneficiaries on your investments, and then we tell our clients that if you have a named beneficiary, that supersedes everything. If, if, if there's conflicting information in your will or your legal documents, the, who, who you name as the beneficiary takes precedent which leads people to say, then why do I even need a will? But there's a lot of things that you can't put a beneficiary on. It might be personal family heirlooms and other possessions. So the will says, here's who's going to get what. So you can control it and you know your loved ones. If you don't have a will and someone else gets to decide, typically the state that you live in, that distribution of assets may not occur the way that you want it to occur. So uh, proper beneficiaries, I agree, power of attorney and a will. These are all important parts of estate planning, legacy planning. And, Rashini, I think we're getting close to out of time for the first half. Absolutely. Well, lots of great information. And, Peg, I loved your line, retirement isn't a luxury. You can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce today live, 651-989-9226. We'll take your calls. We'll take your texts. There are a lot of texts waiting here, lots of different kinds of questions. So I personally am excited on this St. Patrick's Day Sunday, pre-St. Patrick's Day, to hear what Peg and Bruce have to say. Be sure to call and text us to get your questions in, 651 651- Nine eight nine. We are back on your money. Rashini Rajkumar here, along with Bruce and Peg, and uh, they're talking a little bit about the luck of the Irish or not. Don't just count on luck for your retirement. Phone and text lines are open. We have several texts and calls already coming in. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Lots of great questions, Bruce. Yeah, and and we want to get to everybody we can. Uh, just really quickly, though. Uh, if you're just joining us, as Rashini said, we're talking about uh, luck or gambling versus investing wisely. And don't rely on luck. There's strategies. There's things you can do to enhance your chances for success. In the first half of the show, we talked about the need for saving and investing for your future. No one's going to just give you a retirement paycheck unless you do something to, to, to get there. We talked about goals and objectives. When do you want to retire? What lifestyle do you want? We talked about not chasing returns or trying to find the next game stop. We talked about not timing the markets, but uh, your long money stays long. And then, Peg, uh, any other uh, things? There's, I, we both have, I'm sure, a couple of other things in our notes that we uh, that we could have covered today. In fact, well, and, and any clarity from the first half? Anything we want to go back on? But I would I would suggest to you that. Um, we, sh- we can't really leave this topic, I don't think, without also talking a little bit about diversification, and then we'll get listeners the rest of the way. Yeah, <clears throat> we just had a little break, so I was kind of uh, reminiscing about the first half, and we had the um, email or the text at the end talking about wills and talking about Social Security and numbers and that kind of thing. Well, um, I may have misspoke in that uh, I might have mentioned that wills avoid probate, and they actually don't. I 
was thinking more about a trust. It actually, the number one reason why people uh, create these revocable trusts is to avoid probate. But a will itself will not avoid probate. That still has to go through uh, an attorney and, and the court system. So I wanted to clarify that. And then uh, lastly, Bruce, diversification. It seems like that word may be overused in my entire career. You've got to be diversified. You've got to be diversified. Well, what does that really mean? Well, what that means is, is that you can't be compounding on the same type of investment. So let me give you an example. <clears throat> right now, the tech sector, or the technology sector, the growth sector is hot. It's done very, very well uh, through this COVID, but yet um, what I'm witnessing is, is a lot of people out there, as I read articles nationally, they're chasing that, and they actually are leaving the value side of stocks, you know, um, banks, and, and I usually say the 3Ms of the world because it's headquartered in Minnesota, um, you know, companies that pay dividends. And, and so diversifying means even though one is doing so much better than the other, you still need to have a percentage in both because you don't know when that's going to turn and maybe value does better than growth. So that's just an example of diversification. And then the other diversification that I uh, really hype, hype on is tax diversification. Do not defer everything and and have a huge IOU to the IRS on the day you retire, meaning you take advantage of tax deferral through your work plan. You have to pay some tax now, create some buckets that are uh, after-tax money and tax-free. And then just, you know, what types of, of companies do you buy? Like some people work for a company and they say, this is the best company, I'm going to put all my you know, eggs in the basket of the employer that I have. Uh, we've got so many stories, Bruce, that that has backfired for people. So we highly encourage people to diversify away from their company stock as much as you might love being employed there and love the company. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so, yeah, when we talk about diversification, I like what you said, Peg, that it's not just about asset class, although that's certainly critical, and a lot of our discussion today has been about efficient uh, investing. But, but we also diversify from a tax standpoint. You want to have some investments that are fully and immediately taxable. You want to have some that are tax deferred. And you want to have some that are tax advantaged, where maybe you avoid the taxes altogether. And then finally, we diversify by risk. And that's a, probably a whole other discussion for another day. But diversification is not just asset class. It's also risk and taxes if you do it right. And again, uh, part of our theme all the time on this show is value added of a good advisor. Diversifying like this, most people are not able to do that. You know, we, we both get the question a lot. Couldn't I run my own investments? Why should I pay somebody to do that? I could do that by myself. And I'd be the first person to say that, yes, if you take a lot of time and you're, and you're, and you're smart, and you can keep emotion out of it and be objective, you could probably run your portfolio yourself and do just fine. But most people don't want to commit that kind of time. If they're retired, they want to pursue their other hobbies. They want to travel and 
and fish and hunt and walk and play with their grandchildren and, and go to their grandchildren's sports. They don't want to take time trying to manage their portfolio. Now, uh, also, most people can't remain objective when it's their money. Um, and also, and most importantly, it's not just about investment management. It's about comprehensive financial planning. So can you figure out tax reduction strategies? Can you do future value forecasting? Can you determine the most efficient way to take your pension or your Social Security and so forth and so on? So it's about so much more. And again, uh, we always come back to that point that a good advisor adds value in excess of whatever costs they have in your life. And net-net, you're better off with them than without them. Anything else you want to say, Peg, before we get listeners in on the act? Uh, the only thing is, is that during the break, I'm, I went to our Wealth Enhancement Group website, and I'm just so impressed. There's a, a resource uh, center there, a resource if you look at the top. And then when you look at our blog, how many three-minute, five-minute, seven-minute segments there are, some of which we talked about today, but, um, you know, tax benefits of home ownership, March 2021 investment commentary, very quick read. So I wanted to mention that quickly, Bruce, because I actually caught up quite a bit in the six minutes we had there just on our website. <laughs> All right, Rasheed, let's let listeners take us home. All right, you can call us at 651-989-9226. Jesse is holding from Darwin. Hi there, Jesse. Good morning. Uh, I did not receive my second stimulus payment in December. At one time you mentioned how it can be taken as a deduction off of our uh taxes. How, how is this taken off? Uh, thank you, Jesse. Thanks for listening and thanks for the question. And again, I'll just quick mention, um, we, we're going to try to dig in a little deeper to the uh, American Rescue Act that just passed this week, the $1.9 uh, billion uh, relief package. Uh, mo- most people listening are supposed to be getting, and maybe by next Sunday you'll already have it, another $1,400 check. But pig. Jesse's saying she never got the last one, the $600, and uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what Jesse's referring to about um, us talking about uh, taking that as a deduction. We might have. I don't remember. Do you, do you know what she's referring to? Yeah. Yes, I do. If if indeed you feel like you qualified and you didn't get the check, when you file your taxes, uh, and, and it would be, you know, um, so anyway – they first looked at 2018 that there's, there's now there's going to be three checks. So I know people are going to be confused about this, but the, they look at the most recent tax return that they had on file. And then if they saw that you qualified, um, then they sent out a check. If indeed you did qualify, uh, they are going to, then when you file your 2020 return, if indeed you're qualified, it's not really a deduction. It's a credit. And it's a credit, if you owe tax to the government, they'll give you a credit for what you should have gotten. Or if you, if you get a, if you get a refund, you know, you're going to get a larger payment because that's how they're going to make it up. So to Jesse's point then, if she didn't get a check, it's possible that they credited $600 to her, what would have been her tax bill. That's what you're saying? That's right. Okay. Now the other thing about this, and again, I, I, I don't, I don't, I keep saying I don't want to get too deep into it because we're going to try to do it next week when we have a, a better understanding, um, and we'll probably have somebody on uh, also that, that that really digs into it. 
But uh, to that point, and you, you raised it, Peg, and I've read that about uh, the act or all the relief packages that are passed so far, if it's based on someone's 2019 income, well, that was before COVID. Somebody could have made six figures in 2019, and now they don't qualify. But in 2020, they made nothing because they their industry was completely shut down. So I, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I think a lot of people are suffering that aren't going to qualify for the check if it's based on their last tax return before they suffered from the effects of COVID. But they do, Bruce, they're going back to, to even check, you know, if they didn't get one. It, technically, it's really a 2020 credit. It's oh. a, and so even if they're going backwards and you didn't qualify, it's a 2020 credit. So when you file your 2020 return, that's a, this is the year when they're scrubbing everybody and making sure that who qualified uh, gets that credit. So even if in 18 and 19 you had high income, but now in 20 you don't, then you're going to receive the stimulus check. I am so impressed how well you understand that. I, I just now got clarity for the first time. Thank you. The other thing, though, Bruce, on the flip side is let's say you qualified, you know, in 2018 before COVID or 2019 before COVID, and you actually got a check in the mail but your income in 2020 is super high. Well, you get to keep the check. They're not going to go back and go collect the ones when they look at 2020 and say, whoa, that person shouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> you actually get to keep it. Rasheen? Yeah, I was waiting to see if you wanted me to go back to the phones, Bruce. Sorry about yeah, that. Please, we sorry. have Cheryl on the line from Minneapolis. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. Um, I have a question. Um, I'm about to retire soon, my husband and I, and we're looking at wills. And can you explain, and I know you talked about this a little bit, the difference between a will and a trust. Hey, Cheryl, thanks for listening. Thanks for your question. It sounds like you're actually out getting your morning walk or your exercise. And thanks for listening to us while you exercise. So, Peg, um, I think it's a great uh, question and and it's one that we get a lot and frankly uh, I probably stumbled a little bit in the first half of the show when we talked about this talk a little bit about wills and when Cheryl says trust she, she's probably talking about 99.9 percent of the time she's talking about a revocable trust yeah so you know the differences between uh wills and trusts well i think i'll start with trust because why why do all these people uh go and get revocable trusts and then there's this thing called the irrevocable trust well one of the main reasons is what i talked about today you know wills don't avoid probate but trusts do so um, the other thing I would say just from experience is administrating after a death, a trust is a lot easier for us because there does, doesn't necessarily have to be a legal person involved. A lot of times we'll still encourage the beneficiaries of a trust to contact an attorney if it's complex, but we don't necessarily, if it's, if it's pretty easy and it's just give everything to this person and that person, uh, the administration of it is easier. The other reason that people um, form a trust, say, than a will is because their situation is much more complex and you can actually control 
what I call from the grave. So if you didn't want to give all the money to your children, you know, immediately, you could name different time frames and and um, that kind of thing. So then also, lots of people don't probate is is uh, public. So anybody could go in the probate records and see what your net worth was. And, and a lot of people want to be more private than that. So a trust is good also for the privacy, um, the privacy issue of it. So Peg, based on, on that very good answer, the next logical question that some people might have, um, not, not only Cheryl or Rashini, but a lot of listeners, if that makes a trust sound a lot better, why wouldn't everybody just go get a trust? Why does anybody get a will? And the answer is, is that trusts are more laborious to prepare. Uh, takes more effort from you as the uh, uh, as the client, and more effort from the attorney. So it costs more. So to spend that extra money for a revocable trust, if your situation really doesn't need it, does not make sense. So in those cases, a uh, simple will is probably efficient. And then that begs the question. Well, when do I need a trust? It's a, there's a lot of reasons. You mentioned one of them. If privacy is a high priority, you might want the trust. Uh, if you have property in more than one state, it's bad enough being probated in one state. You don't want to be probated in two or three. That's a reason to get a trust. Um, if you have significant assets, you're usually more of a candidate to, to have a revocable trust. But the other thing we should mention, i got to do this really, really quickly, I'm sure you've seen this too. People go to the time and trouble and expense of drafting a revocable trust, and then they don't properly fund it. I'm doing fund it in quotes, meaning there's certain assets that now should be owned by that trust. If you draft the trust, but you never change the ownership on the investments or the assets, you wasted your time and money drafting the trust. And I can't believe how often I still see that. Yeah, and I think what happens is there's a disconnect between the attorney that prepared it and the client uh, knowing that they do have to take an extra step. Sometimes the attorneys will say, well, I'll do it for you, but I'm going to charge you this much per hour. Then people walk out the door with their trust and don't understand what they have to do. Uh, One of the services that we provide to our clients is when they get the uh, trust done, uh, we we assist them in getting it all. It's part of our day-to-day practice to assist them in getting everything titled in the right, uh, not only the, the right named trust, but getting all assets and beneficiaries listed appropriately. All right, Rashid, all right let, uh, more yeah, let's try to get through some of these because we have very few minutes left. So Johnny from Hutch says this, speaking of guesswork, how should life insurance play a part of financial planning, especially in a situation of low or no debt and a sound retirement plan? Thanks, for, uh, Johnny. That's a great question. I think I know who Johnny is. Peg. I think Johnny might be a client of mine. Uh, talk about life insurance as part of the uh, estate planning, legacy planning process. Well, life insurance has all sorts of purposes. And, um, and, and Johnny mentioned that, you know, he, he's got assets that he could back, you know, fall back on. But there's still maybe some other goal that you have as far as leaving a legacy and, um, maybe outliving your money or, um, you know, some protection of some way. And then, So 
So to me, Bruce, it's more of a personal thing, and it goes back to uh, figuring out what the goals of the clients are and if life insurance is appropriate. Yeah, I talk about this a lot, I, and I'm not exaggerating. I have clients that leaving a legacy, leaving as much as they can for kids, grandkids, their church, favorite charities, is a high priority. I have other clients that it's just not. It doesn't make them bad or selfish or greedy, but I have clients that say, look, my kids have more money than I ever had. My financial plan, uh, the ideal financial plan for me is to spend my last dollar the day I take my last breath. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's where life insurance comes in. It's usually a legacy planning tool. It's not for you per se. It's for those that you love. It's a way to leave a bigger legacy for those that you love if that's a high priority. Now, that's different later in life than life insurance early in life, where early in life we would say it's for income replacement. If something happens to you or your partner and you are working and now that income is no longer coming into the household, how do we replace that income? And that's what life insurance might be a way to do that. So Peg is absolutely right. It gets back to goals and objectives. What are you trying to accomplish? But life insurance as a legacy planning tool, beyond the, the, beyond the reason that most people think of that if something happens to me, I want to protect my family, then that goes away. You reach a certain age and you've accumulated a lot of assets and you have no debt and you say, I, I don't want life insurance anymore. But you might still want it if you want to leave a bigger legacy. That's another really good reason for life insurance. All right, Peg and Bruce, let's try to get this one in before we have to go. Can you talk about transfer on death deeds for a house? Ah, Peg, I hope you know because I don't. I, I remember the term and I can't remember how you use it, transfer on death deeds. Yeah, I don't really deal with it every day. But what I can tell listeners, and this is fairly new, is um, you can go to your county uh, courthouse and put a beneficiary on your house. And not many people know this, but then that actually transfers it that directly to the beneficiary and also avoids probate. So that's new. But transfer on deed in death, I'm blank about that right now. And I think the only thing I will add, and it's probably all the time we have anyway, so it's okay that we can't give a better answer. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure that it, there used to be a, a thing called a life estate and the transfer on death deed has pretty much made life estates obsolete. The transfer and death deed is a more efficient way to accomplish that. Uh, so those of you out there that have life estates, you might want to go re- revisit your legal document because you might want to change it to a transfer and death deed. And Rashini, I know we're up against the clock. We are. Well, another great show of Your Money. We'll be back next Sunday. If you have any questions for Peg and Bruce during the week, call 888-6-ADVICE or you can always email your money at wealthenhancement.com. And I think uh, I joined Peg and Bruce in wishing you a happy St. Patrick's Day, but don't leave it to luck when it comes to your money. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 WCCO or Intercom Communications. When you first start thinking about retirement, you might be envisioning beaches, pina coladas, and endless rounds of golf. But before you start planning those trips or eyeing up those new golf clubs, you need to make sure you're prepared for the financial realities that come along with retirement. 
Hi, I'm Bruce Helmer, host of the Your Money Radio Show and co-founder of Wealth Enhancement Group. It's fun to get caught up in our retirement dreams, but not having a solid plan in place can lead to a financial nightmare. That's why we created the guidebook, 11 Retirement Realities You Need to Plan For. The guidebook will help shine a light on some aspects of retirement planning you may not have considered before. To download the guidebook, visit wealthenhancement.com slash dreams. That's wealthenhancement.com slash dreams. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC.